We are in our last week of the series that we're calling Go, Our Great Commission. And of course, it's based on Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission as it's called, or some call it the Great Suggestion, which it's not, or the Great Omission, as Pastor Mike says, because we omit it sometimes and just ignore it. But it's our Great Commission to go and reach the whole world. This week, we're focusing on the very last sentence uh, in this section of Scripture, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What a great promise, isn't it? He's always with us. But let me ask you a question. How many of you always, in all situations and circumstances in life, feel like God is with you? Or let me put it this way. How many of you have been through or maybe in a position in life right now where you're going through something or there's been a tragedy or a disappointment or a something and you're going, God, where are you? Just feel you're not even there. Do you even understand where I'm at? Do you care? And you're seeking God maybe, but surely I'm with you always? Man, I don't feel that. We've all been there, right? Surely I am with you always, he says. That's similar to Hebrews 13.5 where he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Or let's read Deuteronomy 31.6. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, the enemies that come against you. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Great promise again. So then why is it that sometimes we feel like God's not there? Why do we get in those dry patches? What is it that causes that? You know, sometimes it's pain. We go through things in life and you're suffering pain. You go, where is God in this? Sometimes it's disappointment. The situation doesn't turn out the way you thought it would. Your life's not where you thought it would be at this point. Somebody hurts you or wrongs you and it's just disappointment and disillusionment. So you just are confused and going, where is God in this? Sometimes it's just we're living by our emotions. We've got to be careful of that. Uh, you can get wrapped up in that. Let your emotions take over and just keep on thinking the negative thoughts and keep on buying into the lies, and we've got to take charge over that. And then sometimes it's that we ourselves have faded away from God, right? I don't know. You get lazy or whatever, and you just start reading the Scriptures less. You stop praying as often. Slowly fade, slowly fade. Then you get in a tough situation. You go, where's God? Well, It was you that walked away, not him. So we've got to be careful of that as well. That can happen really easily. And sometimes that can happen as a result of the pain, the disillusionment, the disappointment. You just lose hope in God and confidence and just start to fade away. And there you are in this spot again going, where's God? So we need to be careful of that. So let's look at an example in the Bible of people experiencing this pain and disappointment in God. We're going to read John 11, 1 through 7 about Mary and Martha. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So they had history. They knew Jesus. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Pay attention to that. Jesus knew what was going to happen, right? This is going to be for God's glory. He had it all figured out. Okay, next verse. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. So this is a family that Jesus knew well, had history with. Lazarus was one that he loved, good friend of his. 
They'd been watching him. His ministry, he'd been out healing people left and right, healing sickness and disease and, and doing all kinds of cool things. And Lazarus is sick, and they're like, oh, he's sick, but we know Jesus. And he's healing people and everything. So send word to him that Lazarus is sick and surely all will be fine. And then Jesus decides to hang out for a couple of days before he heads out and Lazarus dies. Imagine Mary and Martha's disappointment, disillusionment when Jesus didn't show up. They know him personally, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and he just doesn't show up and their brother dies. This is one of those situations when it's pretty easy to let disillusionment and bitterness and anger and resentment and everything else siphon into our lives, right? Just imagine where they were at. And they reacted very differently, really, which is neat for me. It's a good example to see different ways that we can react in these situations. It says, when Jesus did finally come, Martha ran out to meet him where he was at. Mary didn't. She stayed in the house. Martha said, Lord, if you would have been here, you wouldn't have died. But I know that the Father will give you anything that you ask. So she was saying, oh man, if you would have been here, you wouldn't have died. But I still trust you. I still have faith. I know you're the Son of God. I love you. Mary didn't even come out of the house. And I think from reading through it and looking at all that happened, I think that was, there was a little bit of bitterness and anger there and resentment. And she's like, I'm not even going out to see you. And she said, when finally then they sent for her, they had a hand for her and said, hey, Jesus is asking for you. Fine, she goes out there and she says basically the same thing that Martha said, but in a very different way. If you would have been here, you wouldn't have died. And then she wept bitterly. She was, had no hope at all. So they responded differently, didn't they? And we all respond to things differently, but we have to be aware of that and be careful of how we respond to different things. So when they were devastated and going through all this, did Jesus just not care? Is that why he didn't show up? Was he not aware that they were grieving and, and in this place? Of course he did. Let's jump down to verses 33 through 35. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come alongside with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. He's definitely a God of compassion. And even when you're in the middle of all that, and it feels like he's not there, he's weeping with you. He's got great compassion for people. That's the God that we have. He's still there even when it doesn't feel like it. So the question is, how do you act or react when you're in that situation? Because that's the important thing, isn't it? We are going to have pain. We are going to have disappointments. That's one of the promises of the Bible we like to ignore or not really pay attention to. In this world, you will have trouble, God told us. You'll have sickness, you'll disease, pain. You will. Don't be surprised when you do. That's part of this life. But when you do, he promises to always be with you. That's the good part. So if we're going to experience pain and suffering just like everybody else, then what differentiates us? Remember Pastor Mike said that his controversial statement of this series was that personal witnessing, telling people about God, is not our most powerful evangelistic tool. That's his belief, and I agree. Our most powerful evangelistic tool is living the life God called us to the life of abundance, the life of trust in him, of faith in him. So if that's our most powerful witness, we're going to experience pain and disappointments like everybody else, then the important thing is how we act within that situation, isn't it? Because that's what's going to speak volumes to somebody else. That's how we're going to fulfill the Great Commission. They're going to look at you and go, what happened? And you're just 
calm like a rock and you say you have faith in God and he's going to get you through it and you come out in victory on top after, wow, I want some of that. That's our strongest evangelistic tool. And unfortunately, we have to go through this stuff to learn, to grow, and to shine that light. That's the only way people are going to see it, is if we're going through things. So don't be surprised when tough times come. God didn't leave you. He's still there. He's got you. Just hang in there. Let's look at another example. Maybe you react sometimes like the 12 spies who were sent into Canaan. Remember the children of Israel, they sent them in to spy out the land, and they felt like God had deserted them and left them to die in the wilderness. Let's read Numbers 13. We'll start with verses 1 through 3. So the Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Pay attention to that. He said, I'm giving this to you. Go check it out. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. So this is the children of Israel who were in slavery in Egypt. God brought them out of there in such a miraculous way. They saw all the plagues that God brought on Pharaoh in the miraculous way that he got them out of there, leading them through the wilderness with a pillar of fire at night, a cloud during the day. I mean, just unbelievable, miraculous things. They saw all the way through, and here they are, right on the edge of the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey, this great land that he had promised to them. Now, there's the land that I said I'm going to give to you. Go check it out. So they send 12 spies in to check out the land and see what it's like. So let's see what they find out. So this is later. We're going to skip down to verse 21 and see what happened. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob, north of Lebo Hamath. They went up through Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Shashai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zone in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them. That's a cluster of grapes, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But, I hate when there's a but in there. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread bad word among the Israelites, a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. So two different opinions of what's going on. Caleb knew that God had promised this land to him, and man, it's flowing with milk and honey, and sure, there's giants and fortified cities, but God said he's giving it to us. Let's go. And the rest of them didn't have their eyes on God, did they? They say all this stuff and went, oh, we can't do this. 
And after this, they go on to grumble and complain and say, oh, God should have just left us in Egypt. It'd be better, at least we'd have food. He led us out here to the wilderness to die. He's going to leave us die out here. You know, buying into all the negativity and going on more and more and more. How do you think that went over for them? This is serious. How we react in a tough situation is everything. Let's jump down to the next chapter, 14 and verses 11 through 12. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I performed for them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Ooh, wow. I don't want to be on that side of God, do you? Imagine, though, he's doing all these miracles, leading them through there, and then they go, oh, he's left us here to die, complaining, and boy, that doesn't go over well with God. We've got to be sure that we're reacting in the right way when things come our way. Now, Moses and Aaron pled with God and prayed and pled with God, and he did eventually forgive them, but there were still consequences. So let's jump down to verses 20 through 24. The Lord replied, I've forgiven them as you asked, nevertheless, As surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land that he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. So he's like, okay, I'll forgive them. I won't strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but they're not going to see this land I promised them because they totally lost faith in me and are complaining and grumbling. But Caleb, him and his descendants, will take over the land. It's really important how we respond. Uh, I want to share with you my story, the latest section of my life where I've experienced this. Uh, That's kind of what it's about is you go through things and you learn something and then you go through something. God just can't make it easy, can he? We have to go through ups and downs and things in order to learn and grow as long as we're learning from it. And then the next time we're like, oh, I see what this is. And that's the way life is. We just got to continually grow. Most of you know probably that I was uh, at one time full-time on staff here at Good Hope Church. I was the associate pastor here for about a year and a half. uh, And now I'm not. It's been actually over two years since I've been on staff here and been a pastor. And why is that? Well, it's kind of a long story, first of all, how I even became a pastor. We don't have time to get into the whole thing, but I had a great career going, good thing going, with an organization that loved me, had big plans for me. I was going, doing very well for myself, uh, just loved what I did. Things are going good, and I was serving God, too, every day, seeking God. How can you use me today for your glory? Just help me to be a person of integrity and shine your light in this dark world. Seeking Him, I was on the worship team here. I was serving on the board of Good Hope Church. And in the meantime, I found out I had the opportunity through the Minnesota School of Ministry to go through classes and courses to be credentialed and licensed as a pastor. And I thought, boy, I've always wanted to do that. I don't really care if I have the piece of paper. I don't want to be a pastor. I'll never be a pastor anyway. But boy, to dig in and learn that and just grow and understand the scriptures and everything better, I've always wanted to do that. I'm going to do that. So I did. I started, man, learning and growing. And after a year of doing that, I got credentialed. Well, okay, I'm a pastor, but whatever. But this has really been a good experience, so I'm going to keep going. And in the middle of all that, I'm on the board of the church here, and Pastor Mike starts talking about, you know, we're growing really fast. 
we had at that time only half a building, no classrooms for kids or anything, and we knew that we were going to have to do something because we were growing fast. And Pastor Mike says, you know, I'm to the point where, man, we're growing. I need help. He says, I'm really thinking that it might be time to start thinking about maybe an associate pastor, but it's kind of an impossible thing. But boy, would it be great if we could find someone who's a pastor and had construction experience and maybe management experience that could manage this project. Because, man, trying to fulfill the pastoral duties and manage that, he would have even less hair than he does now. (laughs) And it just sparked in me. It's like, hey, that's me. I'm a pastor now, and I've got years of construction. Nah, no. No way I'm giving up what I got. Nah, I I got a good thing going. Nah, that just doesn't even make sense. And And I dismissed it. But it just kept on and kept on and kept on going in my head. And Finally, I said, well, God, I mean, I want to do whatever you want me to do. I got to mention this to Pastor Mike. And I sent him an email and said, I don't know. This is what I'm kind of thinking. Met and talked. Anyway, long story short, next thing I know, I'm the associate pastor at Good Hope Church. So basically, the whole first year that I was on staff was managing that building project. Uh, And that was great. It was great to be able to serve in that way and get that done and make it happen. And then as that wound down and I started to move more into just pastoral duties, I just had this thing in me, this uncomfortable, I look back on it now and I like to call it a holy unrest because I recognize that it was the Holy Spirit prompting me. But at the time, I'm like, I'm not in the right place. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be doing this. This is not right. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? I'm a pastor now. My parents are proud of me of that. It's my family history. My brother's a missionary in Thailand, been there 25 years. I got another cousin who was a pastor and now runs the Lake Geneva Christian Center, and, and now I'm a pastor, and now I'm supposed to just not be? God called me to be a pastor. What's going on? But I could not shake it. It was just there pushing me. And God has spoke to me that way before. He has to make me uncomfortable to get me to move. I heard a story of what it takes to make people change. And it's, you know, down south, they're sitting on the porch talking, a guy and his neighbor and his dog is laying there, and he's just whimpering, whining. He goes, man, what's wrong with your dog? He said, oh, there's a nail right there in the porch sticking out and he's laying on it. He's like, well, why doesn't he move? Well, it doesn't hurt enough yet to make him move. Isn't that kind of how we are? It's got to hurt quite a bit to make us move, you know? And so I'm in the middle of this going, what do I do? So I went to Pastor Mike and said, do you think it's possible? It's miraculous how God put me here. Did he put me here to get that building project done and now he's done with me? Or is that possible? I don't know, let's pray about it. And he was gracious enough to work with me through that, and eventually I ended up stepping down as associate pastor. But imagine my disillusionment and disappointment, and God, what are you doing? And embarrassment from me and my family, I mean, everything. It's like, what's going on? So what now? He's not giving me that next step. Well, I'd had a side business. I went on doing that. I worked for another company for about a year, and um, just saying, God, how can you use me today? I'm trusting you. Help, use me today. How can I be an example? How can you use me to touch someone today? I'm just doing my thing. So that was a long, about a year and a half, two years of just going, God, where are you? What are you doing? And that's tough to take. So how we react in those situations is important. I'll finish the story a little later, but first of all, has God left you? I mean, seriously, where you're at in life, are you at a point where it feels like God's not there? And what is he doing? Or another question, have you left God? Have you faded? And sometimes that's a result of the first, seeing that pain and disillusionment and being in that spot where I don't think God's even here, and then you just start to fade away, and you get there. Has he left you? You believe the scriptures are true. Then let's read a bunch of scriptures and see what God has to say about this. Let's start with Hebrews 13, 5, and 6. 
Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. James 4.8, which obviously is after James 4.7, where he says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Then he says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Come near to God, he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Deuteronomy 1.30 says this, The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. He's going before you. He's preparing the way. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. And then finally, Isaiah 45.2 says, I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. Promises from God's word. When it doesn't feel like he's there, is he there? He's going ahead of you. He's got to figure it out. Relax. God's got the plan. He's got to figure it out. And here's what he did for me. Here's what's going on now. About a year ago, I think it was, I just started to get that prick in my spirit again, saying, move, move. I got the next thing for you. Go, go. Well, what is it? I've been seeking you for this forever, and it feels like you're not even there. And all of a sudden, now I'm feeling, move. What do I do? Is it full-time ministry again? Is it what? What is it? And I just really felt that I should seek out maybe employment in the industry that I was previously in and just see if God maybe just wants to help me shine his light in that world again. I don't know. So I put some feelers out there, put the word out there that I was looking again. And a couple of previous companies got a hold of me that I'd been in contact with. And I had a couple interviews and looked at a few things. And there was one organization that I always thought boy, they just seem like they're a good organization. They're growing like crazy, and I know they could use help. And it just seems like I just felt in my spirit that I should get a hold of them. So I looked up, found the general manager's email address, sent him a personal email just saying, hey, how are you doing? Just want to introduce myself. Here's who I am. My resume is attached. Here's kind of the things that I've done in the past. I'm kind of looking for my next adventure. If you think we should talk, just let me know. And he replied almost instantly and said, hey, I'm in Philadelphia right now. I'll be back Monday. Let's do lunch on Tuesday. Okay. Great. So we did. Seemed like a good guy, a really good mission. We seemed to really relate on, on a good level of things we wanted to accomplish. Just seemed really cool. Met again later with him and another principal of the organization, and through a couple more meetings and talking, he offered me a position. They used to be just a little family-owned dealership and are just exploding like crazy. 70 employees now, and processes and procedures just weren't in place because they grew so fast they didn't know what to do really needed someone to come in and just really be a process and efficiency manager and write procedures and move things around and make sure everything is flowing department, you know, the whole deal. That boy, that sounds like a blast. It's right up my alley. But I'm like, God, I want to do whatever you want me to do. And he doesn't make it easy, does he? In the meantime, I get four other offers. So now I've got five job offers. I'm like, well, now what do I do? What's the right thing to do? But boy, this one really felt right. So I followed God's leading and it ended up, I accepted the position and went to work for this organization last May. Here's the cool part. I'd been there, I think, three days. I'm sitting in the general manager's office. We're going over some things, discussing some things. And he stops and he goes, hey, Larry, I got to ask you something. When you were a pastor, did you, you know, did people come to you with problems and issues and you would counsel them and pray with them and work with them and things like that a lot. And I said, well, yeah, of course. That's a huge part of being a pastor. And he goes, yeah, that's what I thought. That's one of the reasons I hired you. He said, uh, we have 70 people in this building, 
from all different walks of life, all going through different things. And I want you to know that if any of them come to you, if you want to sit with them, talk with them, pray with them, counsel them, guide them, or whatever, if it has nothing to do with work, even on company time, I'm perfectly okay with it. We need a pastor. Isn't that cool? In the middle of that whole long time going, God, where are you? It's like, relax, I got it figured out. God hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. He's there. He's going before you. What an awesome thing. And it seems like so hard when you're in the middle of it all, but he's got it figured out. Just trust him. Keep seeking him. How can you use me today? What do you want me to do today? When you're doing a menial job, how, who can I smile at today that it's going to make a difference? How can I just shine your light and be an example of, of your integrity, of your character? And he's got to figure it out. He'll guide you, put you right where he wants you. If you just keep seeking him. God is so good. He's with you. The story of the prodigal son, when he basically pretty much insulted his father and said, you know, I don't want to work for you anymore. I don't want to be here. Give me everything that's owed to me, my entire inheritance. And he went off and squandered it and spent everything. And pretty soon he's broke. He's got nothing left. He's eaten the slop from the pig troughs. Finally, he says, you know, I'm going back home. Best I can do, I'm going to ask my father if he'll take me back as one of his servants. And so he goes home to ask dad if he can be one of his servants just so he'll have enough to eat and everything. And how does the father react? Let's read Luke fifteen twenty. So he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. If you're in that place where you've faded, that's what he's waiting for. Just turn towards him. He'll come running. He'll wrap his arms around you. If it feels like he's not there, he'll tell you he's there. And if you're in that position of wondering what's going on, relax. God's got it. Keep trusting him. Keep seeking him every day. He's got it. Just spend some time with him. Just turn towards him. He's waiting. Just like the prodigal son's father, he's waiting. Just turn. If you faded from God, man, just turn to God. That's my challenge to you today. Let's pray. Thank you, God, so much that you don't leave us hanging. That even when it seems sometimes like you're not there, God, you have a purpose. You've got a plan. Just like with Lazarus, you said, oh, this is not going to end in final death right now. It's going to be glorifying to God. And you know exactly what situation we're in. You know exactly what's coming in the future. You're going before us. You're breaking down mountains, busting through bars. Lord God, I thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us all this week now to seek you every day to seek to live that life you've called us to, to shine your light, to be an example to this world of what a true Christian is like, to have compassion on others around us, to have your heart, God, for those around us so that we can fulfill the Great Commission, God. Just pray for protection on everyone as they travel from here today now. In Jesus' name, amen.